I'm a real supersonic, pass the ball like magic. Sean Kim or Larry Bird, the old school Mavericks. I got basketball cards, gonna sing a little more. I got basketball cards, now enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Godfather Nate Milton. And right now, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, show me your basketball cards. In the spirit of the great names of the past, like Dikembe Mutombo, and not Michael Jordan, but Baby Jordan, Harold Miner, Drazen, Arvidas, J.R. Ryder bringing that East Bay funk. I bring to you the man who met World Be Free and Danny Ferry, your host and my brother, Zaire, also known as Bandana Z. Yo, people, we back. My basketball cards. In this episode, we are talking about Scott Wedman. But before we do, big shout out to Paris Alexa, the singer of the theme song, and Nate Milton, the introducer of me, Zaire Bandana Z. Yo, Scott Wedman, 1976-1977 tops. Basketball cards, the big cards, the giant cards, the ones that are not easy to maintain. Yo, we're going to talk about Scott Wedman. Let me tell you, Scott Wedman was a guy that I remember as the guy like uh, on the bench for the Boston Celtics in the mid-80s. You know, (laughs) the Celtics uh, in the 80s were considered a white basketball team because two of their three biggest stars were white men, uh, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale. Um, there was another one named Danny Ainge. He was pretty, you know, well-known. And there were people like Bill Walton who came at the end of his career. And then there's Scott Wedman. <laughs> okay. There were others. Um, so, like, if you look at the average NBA team at the time, the Celtics had, you know, more of a balance of black and white players than other teams. And some people thought that they had more white players than other teams. Um, the white, a lot of white America related to the Celtics because they saw more of themselves in that team than they did any other team. Um, it's unfortunate that race has us divided and has us thinking things that may not necessarily be true. Um, there were people that thought that Larry Bird was racist because for whatever reason, they didn't even have a clue. They didn't even know him, but they thought it. Um, people draw their own assumptions and conclusions based off their own experience experiences, and then they try to put them on other people that they think they relate to. But um, that has nothing to do with Scott Whitman. I'm just saying how I remember Scott Whitman. I remember him being the guy that came off of the bench for the Boston Celtics. And I had no clue that Scott Whitman actually was an all-star. You know, you just think of him as that guy that came off the bench that can shoot the ball a little bit. You know, (laughs) that type of thing. But... We go back to the 1970s and that dark age period of the NBA where some of these guys who made it 
to the the bright lights of the mid eighties of the NBA um, in their previous, I guess, NBA lives. They were stars. It's just that the league wasn't big at the time, and so you only see, you only remember them where you saw them most. We saw Scott Wedman as that guy that came off of the bench for the Boston Celtics that we would think, oh, he ain't as good as Larry Bird. So <laughs> we would kind of dismiss that, oh, he must not be that good. He's just on the team, you know. But no, Scott Wetman was a very, very talented basketball player. And we're going to talk about that talent right now. Uh, Scott Wetman's name is Scott Dean Wetman. Dean is his middle name. He played small forward and he was a right-handed shooter. Six foot seven, 215 pounds. He was selected in the first round of the 1974 draft. That draft comes up often uh, when you talk about players from this era. And we've talked about that draft in previous episodes. But just to remind you, Scott Wetman drafted six. The players selected in front of him. Bill Walton, Hall of Famer. Marvin Barnes, who we talked about two episodes ago, who was definitely a talented basketball player. Tom Burleson out of North Carolina State. So, so just to remember, or just to do this right, Portland selected Bill Walton one. Philadelphia selected Marvin Barnes two. Seattle selected Tom Burleson out of North Carolina State. Number four, Phoenix selected John Shoemate out of Notre Dame. Out of, uh, number five out of North Carolina, Houston selected Bobby Jones and Scott Wedman went number six uh, out of Colorado. Uh, the top players in this draft um, overall that were selected, of course, we talked about Bill Walton, but George Gervin uh, was probably the most productive player 10 years in the NBA, also played in the ABA, averaged 26 points Point two points per game during his NBA career. Uh, John Drew was another one. Jamal Wilkes is a player that we talked about before. Um, Campy Russell, Brian Winters, uh, Billy Knight. Talented ball players that came out of this draft. Maurice Lucas, who we talked about the last episode. But here we are here to talk about Scott Wetman. And Scott Wetman came out as a rookie, averaging 11.1 points per game for the Kansas City Kings, or actually they were the Kansas City Omaha Kings because they played some of their games in Omaha. That team that season went 44-38 and and lost in the Western Conference Finals to the Chicago Bulls. They were second in the Midwest Division. They lost in the Western Conference Semifinals to the Bulls, like I just said. Um, But yeah, Scott Wedman was a contributor was all rookie in 1974-75 and um, went on to 75-76 season where he was an all-star for the first time in his career, averaging 15.5 points per game. He was an all-star, um, 7.4 rebounds. Um, One second, just to try to see what that team's record. That year, the Kings dipped. They went 31-51. and 51. Um, you know, 15 points per game is pretty modest for an all-star, but I guess, you know, he was well-respected. Um, and so he went and he played for the Kings all the way until the 80-81 season, 79-80. Scott Wedman was an all-star as well. And that year he averaged a career-best 19 points per game. 
7980, and I think he was named to the all-defensive team that year as well. So pretty good accolades for his first five seasons in the NBA, all-rookie, two-time All-Star, NBA, all-NBA defensive team, not too shabby. Um, but yeah, the 76-77 season uh, was the year that this card um, is based out of. So we'll go and we'll look uh, for Kansas City at the time was 40 and 42. They missed the playoffs again. Uh, we talked about Sam Lacey, uh, who was a teammate of his in a previous episode last season, actually. Um, big shout out to Sam Lacey, one of the most underrated players in NBA history. Um, but yeah, let's look at Scott Wetman's 76-77 season. Uh, his best game that year was a 38-point performance and a two-point loss to the Atlanta Hawks where he shot 16 of 25, good for 64% from the field. He also had five rebounds, three assists, and four steals. Man, you get four steals in the NBA game, that's really good. Um, that season, he was bringing it on the defensive side. He actually had a game with six steals against Philadelphia. That was another loss. Um, he had three games that season with five steals. Um, but that only the only 30-point game he had, game with 30 points or more, was that loss to Atlanta. Uh, he had two two games that season, both wins with 28 points. Uh, October 26, 1976, he had 28 points and 10 rebounds against the Los Angeles Lakers. As a two-point win. Let's see what happened in that game. Against the Lakers, you got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 25 points, 16 rebounds. Kazi Russell, 31 points. Kazi could put that ball in a basket. Uh, Bolomar is a player that came off of the bench that day for the Lakers. Never heard of him, but he put up 16 points off of the bench. But Kansas City, led by Scott Wetman's 28 well, actually, led by Ron Boone's 33, <laughs> then Scott Whitman at 28. Um, so that was, those were the top two scores for Kansas City that day. And it's an early season game. Um, but yeah, if you look at Scott Whitman's career, he plays with Kansas City. And then during the 81-82 season, he finds himself in Cleveland, 81-82. He signed as a free agent with the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, and then the Kansas City Kings re received a first-round draft pick for compensation. And with that draft pick, they selected Kevin Loder, selected with the 17th pick of the 1981 draft. And Kevin Loder only played... Three years in the NBA. Four years in the, well, nope, three years in the NBA. From 81 to 84, averaged uh, 5.9 uh, points per game. Um, started just 26 of his 148 games that he competed in. So Cleveland actually got a um, good deal as far as a, a good free agent. And in the year that he played with the Cavaliers in year one, Scott Webman in 1981-82, Played 59 games with the Cavs, uh, scored 10 points per game that season. Um, the next season, 82-83, still with the Cavs, plays the first 35 games of his season 
averaging 18.1 points per game with the Cavaliers. So he's having a good year. But like a typical Cleveland fashion, they decide to unload him. It seems like anybody that was doing any kind of good, they said, oh, get out of here. <laughs> so they traded him to the Celtics for Darren Tillis and the first round pick that was later Greg Kite. So they Cleveland traded that first round pick because they did not draft Greg Kite. But they ended up getting Darren Tillis. And Darren Tillis actually was like a bit of a hometown hero. He played for Cleveland State, my favorite college team, um, back in the early 80s, late 70s, I want to say. Yeah, he was a star for Cleveland State. He was probably the first Cleveland State guy to make it to the NBA, if I'm not wrong. Darren Tillis was a six-foot-11 Ford, um, you know, very talented in college, but not so much in the NBA. He was, you know, kind of struggled uh, during his time in the NBA. But um, I guess Cleveland figured, you know, we're going to get him back and got, get a hometown guy in here or whatever. Um, but no, Scott Wetman goes on to Boston. And, you know, in Cleveland, he was starting um, his second season. The first season in Cleveland, he started some of the games, but not all. He started more games than he didn't, but he still didn't start most. He didn't start every game. So the second year in Cleveland, he starts the first 35 games of the year. He goes to Boston, and Boston's already loaded. They already got a talented squad, so he has to um, kind of – find his way as a reserve. <clears throat> and so during the 82-83 season, you're talking about a Boston Celtic team that goes 56-26 and 26 and um, makes it to the second round of the NBA playoffs, uh, the Eastern Conference playoffs. Um, but on this team, you got Larry Bird, Hall of Famer, Robert Parrish, Hall of Famer, Kevin McHale, Hall of Famer, Cedric Maxwell, who's probably – should be a Hall of Fame, but his jersey is definitely retired by the Celtics. He's the finals MVP from the 1981-82 season. Uh, you got Danny Ainge, who's a, a future All-Star, I believe. Was Danny Ainge an All-Star? I think he was. Yeah, he was an All-Star. Uh, so you got a future All-Star in Danny Ainge. You got another um, player in... Um, who else was here? Yeah, so the, Tiny Archibald, who was towards the end of his career, but still um, Hall of Fame basketball player nonetheless. So you had a loaded Boston team. It wasn't like they needed Scott Wedman, but Scott Wedman definitely, if if he was you know a guy that could put up 19, 20 points per game on a losing squad, he definitely could sure up Boston's bench. And be there just in case somebody, you know, has an injury or something like that. Um, so that's um, the case. And he went on to Boston and, you know, was a productive player in his limited minutes. Um, he helped Boston uh, win some championships while he was there. He won championships in 1984 and 1986. Um, his best run in the playoffs actually was in 1985 
out in Boston his best run in the playoffs because in Kansas City he actually was great in the playoffs. Let's talk about that real quick. In Kansas City in the playoffs uh, during 1981 playoff run, Kansas City made it all the way to the Western Conference Finals that year. And Scott Wetman averaged 25.7 points in the first round. In the second round, he averaged 19.3 points. And in the, in the Western Conference Finals, he averaged 19 points per game in that five-game loss. Um, so, yeah, he was he, he could do his thing. Uh, 1979 playoffs, first round, they lost to Phoenix. He averaged 19.2 points per game. But with Boston, they had so much talent that he didn't really get a chance to be a star. But there was one playoff series in 85 where Scott Wetman performed very well, uh, and they needed him because they were going up against a Cleveland team that was hot. That Cleveland team started the season at like 2-18 and during the 84-85 season, and they messed around and made the playoffs. Uh, they finished the season hotter than everybody um, that year. And the Cavs lost the series three games to one, but the crazy thing about it is that they outscored Boston in the series. They lost game one, 126 to 123. Game two, 108 to 106. They won game three, 105 to 98. And they lost game four, 117 to 115. If you pay attention, they lost every game by three or less. In the game they won, they won by seven. So they actually outscored Boston in a series that they lost. That's crazy, isn't it? Uh, Cleveland went into the finals. I'm not into the finals. Into the playoffs at 36 and 46. But remember, they started the season off 2 and 18. So if you do the math, they finished the season at 34 and 28 which is not bad at all. Um, so, yeah, Scott Wetman during that series, about to lose focus. <laughs> Scott Wetman during that series uh, averaged 11.5 points per game. And I want to go and look at his game-by-game -game production. I know this is a, should be about 76, 77, but... This is a real cool thing. So in, in game one, Scott Wetman scored nine points uh, in 16 minutes. Not bad. Um, hit four of his seven shots. Game two didn't do much. 12 minutes, scored four points. It was game three that they actually lost. But Scott Wetman put up 30 points that day against the Cavaliers in a playoff loss. And then in game four, where the Celtics won, he's just scored three points and went 0 for 6. So the game that they actually lost was Scott Wetman's best playoff game as a Celtic. Um, if you look in that game, it was a war. Uh, Boston just Boston actually was trying to come back in the second half. They were down in the first half. But um, it was Scott Wetman who put up 30 points. Kevin McHale at 21 Larry Bird actually missed the game, and that's why Scott Whitman got the minutes that he got, and he showed up to play. He just wasn't Larry Bird. <laughs> Larry Bird probably would have scored the uh, six, eight, 
nine points needed for the win or whatever it was. Um, but yeah, that's world be free game right there. We talked about world be free a few episodes ago, 32 points in that game in that Cleveland win, just an exciting series. Um, Larry Bird even wrote about the Cavs that year and what it was like to play against Cleveland in his autobiography. Cause that Cavs team was just on fire and it gave Boston all that they could handle. But yes, yeah, Scott Wetman, um, you know, Played his role. Uh, his best season in Boston was 85-86, where he actually started 19 of his 79 games with Boston. That's the most starts he got while in a Celtic uniform, and he averaged eight points per game on 47% shooting. Um, you know, he actually... That team, that Celtics team, 85-86, many believe is like arguably the best team ever. And that's the team where you have Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, Bill Walton coming off the bench. Uh, you got Dennis Johnson, another Hall of Famer at the point guard. And um, once again, Danny Ainge is there. Um, so very talented squad there. Um, so overall, who is Scott Wetman? Scott Wetman is more than just the guy that came off of the bench for the Celtics and uh, helped give Larry Bird a little bit of rest. He actually was an all-star, two-time all-star, an all-defensive player, quality basketball player um, who, you know, is kind of just relegated to just being the guy in the warm-up for the Celtics, and he was more than that. He also won the 19, uh, he won a player of the week in 1980, January 6, 1980. So that's pretty cool to know as well. Um, but yeah, that's your story about Scott Wedman. I, I constantly come across cards of Scott Wedman um, while I'm, you know, hunting in the card stores and, you know, you see Kansas City Kings and for whatever reason, I just failed to put two and two together because you you know you see him as a Celtic so I'm like thinking like I know who Scott Wetman is but it don't like he wearing the right uniform is that a different guy I don't know I was tripping but it's like yeah Scott Wetman with the Celtics of course but yeah once upon a time he was a star for the Kansas City Kings who are now the uh, Sacramento Kings um so he's a part of that franchise's lineage so um, thank you for tuning in to my basketball cards. Thank you for supporting the show. We are just cranking out as many episodes as we can. Um, we got more in this season to give you, and then we'll move on to another season. I'm almost thinking about moving to a like more modern season, like, you know, well, not modern, but 90s maybe i haven't really focused on the 90s since we started when we talked about danny ferry and dominique wilkins and players like that sean kemp so maybe we will um fast forward it in a little while or maybe we'll just keep it in the 70s and uh do that i don't know we'll see which way the wind blows no matter what we're gonna go all over the place with my basketball cards because we have so many cards and so many stories to share so many players to bring you so uh, once again, thank you for tuning in and shout out to Scott Whitman, wherever you are <laughs> and uh, you guys take it easy and enjoy yourselves.